Are you thankful this morning for that old rugged cross? Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. Uh, for, we'll return to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. Uh, always share with visitors, if, if you're visiting this morning, we uh, here, at, here at our church, for the most part, we're uh, teaching and preaching through uh, individual books of the Bible from beginning to end, trying not to skip anything. Uh, may I say this? Even the hard things. <laughs> We're trying not to skip anything, even the hard things. I, uh, I struggled last week with spiritual battle around the message, not wanting it to be anything that would divide. Uh, hopefully it did not. Uh, I hope it did not. Uh, you know, we're always concerned about uh, things that may be understood differently by some, but uh, we're, we're hoping to be biblical uh, and praying for unity uh, in our church always around the words of God. And uh, the next half of uh, chapter 11 really deals with that. It, uh, as you know, uh, deals with the Lord's Supper, uh, but it seems to deal more uh, it's sort of a, a level above that unity around the Lord's Supper and some problems uh, that, that uh, illustrated spiritual matters, uh, spiritual difficulties, spiritual problems in the church that became evident as they were, as the church at Corinth uh, was celebrating the Lord's Supper. So we'll see that uh, here this morning. If you're able to, let's stand together. I want to read here beginning in verse 17 this morning, First uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians 11, uh, verse 17. If you're able to stand together in uh, respect to uh, the Lord and his words, I appreciate that. Uh, if you cannot, certainly we understand. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, beginning here in verse 17, Paul writes, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that doesn't sound good, uh, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. That doesn't sound good at all. Uh, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be what church? Divisions among you. That's certainly not good. And I partly believe it, Paul says. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. We'll talk about that phrase. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, uh, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He corrects them. He says here uh, in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Verse uh, 27, Paul continues. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Stop there and pray. Father, thank you uh, this morning for this passage. Uh, Lord, of course, we see here uh, Paul teaching uh, about the Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion. Lord, we understand the importance of the Lord's Supper, of partaking it together, uh, Lord, of examining ourselves that, that we not come unworthily. Father, I also understand this morning that uh, we see here Paul is dealing with an issue in the church, that of, of divisions and, and disunity and wrong hearts toward one another. Lord, divisions and problems, spiritual problems that are exposed in how the church is observing the Lord's Supper. Lord, not at all what you intended. And Father, I pray this morning that we take the opportunity, yes, to be reminded about the Lord's Supper, but Lord, also to examine our hearts uh, regarding these same spiritual problems. Father, I understand this morning, this passage is here because churches need it, not just the church at Corinth, but this church. Lord, we need these words, and I thank you so much for them. Lord, you've called us to be a united assembly, people who... Uh, are united around your words. Father, I pray this morning if there's anything that challenges our unity, that you'd show us that in our hearts and give us hearts to deal with that this morning, Lord, that we might have a more perfect unity for you. Lord, help me now. I need that. I thank you for it, and I trust you for it. Lord, I, I ask that you work here this morning for your honor and your glory. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Someone was probably uh, wondering, uh, Brother Frank, if, if that prayer would never end. Pastor, are you going to let us ever sit? Uh, yes, you, you may be seated. Uh, someone's going to say, praise God. A amen. All right, we're Baptists. You can say amen. Uh, you see here this morning, yes, there's that familiar passage that we almost always use. I think I've always used it when we observe the Lord's Supper uh, here in our church. Uh, we celebrate it on Sunday nights once a month. Uh, sometimes people ask, well, how often should that be? Bible doesn't really prescribe a, uh, a frequency, but it does lay out some principles that should be honored as, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, and certainly in this passage, there's one that maybe gets overlooked from time to time, Brother Ray, this, this issue of unity, uh, a heart thing, right? Having hearts that are right with each other uh, and taking care that we've examined ourselves a variety of ways. But certainly the context of this passage demands that a part of examining yourself is examining uh, your heart with and your relationship with fellow church members? Is there, is there something that I've done to offend someone? Is, uh, has someone offended me? Is there, is there something that's become a wedge between me uh, and someone or someone's else? Uh, that's not good grammar, you forgive me, in the church. Uh, and so the, the coming together around the table in, in unity, uh, pretty clearly in this passage, there, there is a uh, there's a call from the Lord through Paul to churches to 
uh, examine our hearts toward each other and our relationships uh, with, with fellow church members, that we might come uh, worthily and avoid some of those consequences, which sound pretty serious to me. Uh, we'll, we'll look at those uh, here in a few minutes. Um, look with me uh, back in verse 17 now, if you will. I want us to see this morning that this is really kind of a problem uh, solution passage. There's a problem that, that Paul kind of puts a, a, a microscope under, uh, and then he, he shows us some of the, the factors that uh, play into that problem. Kind of like a doctor uh, might diagnose a, a medical condition and then draw some blood uh, and, and look at that blood through a microscope and see uh, some of the problems that are contributing to that condition. Paul says there's a problem in, in this church that, that comes into view when you come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He's going he's to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking at you through that microscope, and I'm going to tell you what some of the underlying problems are. Uh, why would he do that? Why would he go to the length of, of highlighting some underlying spiritual problems regarding their unity? Why, why would he do that? Well, the implication is those things need, need to be fixed. Uh, sometimes when you get diagnosed with a medical problem, uh, the doctor will say, listen, we don't really have a cure, but we can treat the symptoms. And Brother Ray, if that's the best you can do, that, that's what you do, right? We can't cure diabetes just yet. Watch out, though. I think a cure is coming uh, if the Lord doesn't come first. But we can treat the symptoms, and we praise God for that. Other times, a doctor will say, listen, you've, you've got this problem. Thankfully, there is a cure. You're going to take the medicine and, and get better. Everything will be okay. Well, Paul, Paul wants to point to the problems that are curable so that the, the, the big diagnosis of disunity in the church uh, can be corrected. We praise God that uh, spiritual problems can be cured. Amen? They're not incurable. The Bible gives us the cure uh, for spiritual problems. We, we praise God for that this morning. So uh, see here, number one, this morning, there's a problem uh, in the church at Corinth. Well, we know it had lots of problems, uh, but one of them was disunity. There just wasn't the kind of unity in that church that there should have been. Look with me again in, in verse 7. So, so the problem, get that down in your notes. There's a problem of divisions or disunity uh, in that church. This is the big problem that Paul's dealing with uh, here this morning. He says, verse 17, Now, in this I declare unto you, uh, I praise you not. There's a problem, and I can't praise you for it. It's not a good thing uh, that you come together not for the better, uh, but for the worse. They're supposed to, the members of that church, assemble together uh, for good purpose, to, uh, to worship the Lord, of course, uh, and to benefit from uh, their assembling together, from their worship, uh, from their hearing uh, the words of God, from their observance of the Lord's Supper, the saved, baptized church members. They're supposed to benefit from that. They're supposed to come out the other side of that service uh, spiritually better off, not spiritually worse off, but uh, because of the spiritual problems in, in this church, they come together, uh, they, they end up more messed up than when they started. That's not the Lord's intention. You understand that. 
Uh, it's not the pastor's intention to, to beat up the church and send you back out the door uh, worse off than when you came. probably feels that way sometimes. I, I am mindful of that. That's not, not my intention, and I don't think that's the Lord's desire uh, at all either. He says, uh, I praise you not that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Uh, not for the betterment of each other, but sometimes you, you do harm to each other. That seems to be implied also. He says, for first of all, verse 18, when ye, y'all, come together in the church, the assembly, uh, I hear that there be, what's the D word there? Divisions. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, get that into your notes. Among you, uh, the you is plural. Remember the, the ye and the you in our King James Bible translate words that are plural. They refer to the group, not to an individual. He says, I hear that there be divisions. Uh, that underlying word looks kind of like schisms. Uh, and you, you know that word, divisions or schisms among you. Paul says, and, and I partly believe it. Brother Steve, I think it's like, I don't want to believe that, but I have to. Uh, I, I know you're a church that's fairly messed up. And as much as I don't want to believe, I'm going to have to at least partly believe uh, what I hear. No doubt the Lord is showing Paul in, in his spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is directing him, superintending his writing of these words, he knows it's true or else the Lord would not have him to be writing these things uh, this way. He says, when you come together, I hear that there be divisions or schisms among you. Uh, may I say this? Something may not be one thing uh, if it's divided up. Uh, you could have, Zach, one pie, and if it was a rhubarb pie, that would be a tremendous blessing. Amen. Church, say, brother, amen. All right. Amen. Thank you. That'd be a tremendous. But when we were down in Pennsylvania, kept seeing signs for rhubarb. But then it would be like, you know, at the end of a driveway that went on like 10 miles long. You could see a little house off in the distance. And we thought, I don't think we could really go. That didn't feel right. You understand. Uh, Lord, Lord, help us to have rhubarb pie. Amen. Get that down in your notes. Pastor said, Lord, help us to have rhubarb pie. You cannot have one pie. Uh, a whole pie if it's cut up and separated. It's no longer a whole pie. It's, it's separate, disparate pieces that have been divided and, and separated rather than one pie that's, that's one united whole pie. You can't, have, you can't have it both ways. We're called to be one church, one pie, if you will, uh, one body. It's an illustration the Lord uses a lot. Uh, functioning together. We're not all, we don't have all the same roles like the organs in our body, but we're called to be one body with each part working together so that as a whole, uh, we can accomplish God's purposes. We understand that. That's a theme that uh, we emphasize in our church because it's a theme that's emphasized uh, very much in the New Testament. Paul says that there's divisions uh, or schisms among you, this is, this is not a good thing. Uh, get some cross-references down with me, please. James 3 and verse 16, uh, James writes under inspiration, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion uh, in every evil work. If there's uh, envying, strife, division, that doesn't contribute to the church accomplishing God's purposes, reaching people with the gospel and baptizing them and discipling them and getting them into a place of service and worshiping together. Uh, no, if there's envying and strife and divisions, 
Uh, there, there's not that kind of service. There's every evil work is, is what James says. Uh, no, that's not at all what we're called to. Uh, back in chapter 10, you go there, uh, look with me in verse 17, the last chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, uh, Paul writes under inspiration, he says, for we being many are one bread. Uh, one loaf of bread is what we're called to be uh, in one body, for we are all partakers of, of that one bread. Of course, he's referring to uh, poetically, if you will, to Christ, the bread of life. And uh, the unity that we're called to in him. That's what we're supposed to be uh, as, a, as a New Testament church. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Romans. Just turn back one book, not one chapter. Had you go back one chapter, and I'll go back one book to Romans 15. Uh, Romans 15 and, and verse 5. How in the world are people uh, who can be so different in so many ways. People that come from different places, have different backgrounds, uh, live in different places, have different types of jobs, different life experiences, different skills, different abilities. How in the world can people from so many disparate backgrounds uh, ever hope to be, uh, to have the kind of one body unity uh, that the Lord has called us to have? Well, look here in uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 5, Romans chapter 15, verse 5, Paul writes uh, under inspiration to the church members there at Rome. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be, read the next word with me, please, to be like-minded uh, one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Read verse 6 aloud with me, please. That ye may with one mind in one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're called to have one mouth. Uh, we're called to have one mind. This, this is not some weird culty thing, right, Zach? It's just poetic language the Lord is using to picture unity. Uh, that's, that's exactly what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. One mind, people thinking alike, uh, and therefore speaking alike uh, for God's purposes, to glorify God, their, their middle of verse 6. Now, again, that's what we're called to, but how is it possible? Uh, how in the world could that ever be possible? We'll go back up to, uh, we're still in Romans 15, look back up at verse 5, read the verse, let me try that again, read the first three words of verse 5 with me. Uh, now the God... God is, is how it's possible. The same God who calls us to be united, to have a true, genuine unity of hearts and minds and mouths in our assembly is the God who makes that possible. He's the God of patience. He helps us to be patient with each other. Uh, he's, as we talked about Sunday school this morning, he, he's the one that helps us to be patient as we wait for the rapture uh, it's taking patience as we look around the world today. We, I don't have to tell you that. Uh, the Lord makes that patience possible. Uh, he's the same God who's indwelt us with the Holy Spirit for many purposes. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the love that he helps us to demonstrate, not only to him, but to each other. But he helps us to be patient with each other also. Uh, when something challenges our unity, uh, when someone annoys us or offends us, we know that Christ prescribed a way to deal with that, but we also understand this morning that the Lord enables patience 
uh, and love uh, and peace among his people as we yield to him and apply his words to that situation. Brother Steve, the Lord never calls us to anything that he doesn't make possible. And, and I praise God for that. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you guys got to go away and figure this out or drum up this in yourself through your own uh, will. No, the Lord is the one that makes it possible for us to be united the way we should. Now, uh, there's certain principles that have to be applied. We have to unite around his words, of course, uh, which are truth. We'll see that in a moment. There has to be love, but the Lord makes that possible also. Uh, there has to be a way to deal with problems. Uh, Christ has given us that in Matthew. Uh, he's given us everything that we need so that when it's time for the Lord's Supper, we come around that table uh, and participate worthily as individuals but with the understanding that participate individually worthily means that uh, I'm right with my church family uh, and therefore contributing to the unity uh, of our church. By the way, if you're not right, that's the time to get right. Amen. Uh, when, if you're not right with the Lord, that's the time to get right with the Lord. If there's something that you need to get right with the Lord this morning, let's do that before we leave. What a shame uh, if there's something that's wrong today. We could get right today, and of course we can, uh, but we not do that. Lord, give us hearts to get right with you this morning. Uh, and so this is the problem. The problem is disunity in, in that church. Well, there's some underlying spiritual things that are contributing to the disunity. As Paul kind of looks uh, at them through uh, a Holy Spirit microscope, if you will, he can see a few things that are contributing to this spiritual illness that is uh, diagnosed as disunity in that church. Let's get a list of just a few things here very quickly, please. Uh, number one, there's heresies. Uh, you see the word in verse 19. There's heresies uh, that divide the church. Now, I know we tend to think of heresies as, as what? Wrong doctrine. Uh, and that probably is the way it's used here. But the, the, word, the, the word underlying heresies, Greek word, has a little literal idea, I'll get my words out, of opinions. Uh, there are a lot of opinions in the church about a lot of things. People had a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And, and no doubt everyone was sharing their opinion. And what happens if you're a little bit prideful, Zach, about your opinion? You don't want to let it go. I'm right no matter what. No matter what anybody says, my opinion uh, is, is the right. I'm not picking on you. My, my opinion is the right opinion, and, and I'm not moving off of it no matter what. Uh, heresies has that literal idea. Could be opinions about doctrine that are wrong, and that's how we normally think of the word, like heretical doctrine that we see in so many churches today. Paul says in verse 19, uh, for there must be also heresies, uh, very strongly held opinions uh, among you. He says that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. That last phrase, I think, simply has the idea that, listen, I don't worry so much about there being opinions because as opinions are, are, are shared, the truth is shared also. You know, if there's three people that have an opinion uh, and only one of them has the truth, Paul says, listen, as long as the truth is being shared as people share their opinions, 
I'm okay with that. That's, that's, that's fine. You, you have your discussions. Iron sharpens iron. That's, that's a biblical principle. Uh, so long as the truth is in the mix, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. What's a bad thing? What's implied here is that when people just militantly hold on to an opinion uh, that may or may not be right, and uh, what happens when, when people hold on to opinions, whether they're proven wrong or, 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 or proven right, that's going to that's gonna harm the unity. You can't have 19 opinions with 18 of them being wrong uh, and think there's going to be unity in a church. Brother Ray, it doesn't work that way. Uh, how do you know what is right and what is wrong, church? If you have an answer that you could hold up, would you do that? How do you know what is right and what is wrong? <laughs> you have an answer that you can hold up, right? You have the word of God that shows us what is right and what is wrong. Yeah, there could be 19 uh, opinions about some spiritual matter or some, uh, some uh, issue of how the church functions or what we do and don't do or uh, how we dress or don't dress. Uh, last week it was, it, was, it was hair and head coverings, the first part of this chapter. You can have all kinds of opinions, and certainly we do. Uh, we have lots of opinions, but uh, there's only one truth, amen, and it's God's truth. Brother Mike, that's just true, right? There's one truth, and it's God's truth. We might have opinions, but God has truth, and uh, you can know if your opinion is right by comparing it to uh, the Word of God. Zach, what, is, what does a scientist do? They have a theory uh, or an opinion about how some, but they, they compare it to the evidence that they can discover, right? You want to know if your opinion about church or doctrine or anything related to that is true, you can dig into uh, the Word of God like, like a scientist might dig into uh, something to understand it better. Uh, mine out some truth and compare it to your opinion uh, to see if it is uh, true or not. Uh, would you get down a couple of cross-reference, please? Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 160. Psalm 119, probably David, but certainly the Lord's words. Verse 160, uh, the psalmist prayed. He said, Lord, thy word is true. From the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Uh, Brother Gary, I see there that every one of God's words is true, and it's going to stay that way forever. Isn't it awesome to know that none of God's words ever become not true? Amen? The culture moves on with different ideas and many opinions, depending on the day, it seems. But certainly in this age, there's... Many opinions about what is right, what is wrong, but uh, the word of God is true today. It's always been true. Uh, it always will be true. Brother Ray, it never falls out of, uh, of truth. It may fall out of style in the world. It may fall out of fashion in the world's eyes, but it never becomes less true than the day it was given. In John 17, in verse 17, Jesus prayed, well, he prayed to the Father, as we do, as he taught us to. He prayed, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. And then he said this. I think you know what he said. He prayed, thy word is truth. That was true the day Jesus prayed, and it's still true. There's tons of opinions. Not necessarily a bad thing. Good to have opinions, 
but how do I know if it's true? You dig into the word of God and you compare your opinion to the truth that is God's word, and then you can know. And you know what? Sometimes that means you have to drop your opinion. Uh, sometimes that means you have to kind of tweak your opinion, right? Sometimes it means you have to kind of uh, mold or shape your opinion a little bit to get it into conformity with the truth of God's word. That's okay. That's, that's a good thing. Sometimes it means you need to throw it off because it's just too far removed from the truth of God's word. And so you got to throw that opinion away and say, okay, I'm going to put that off. And what I'm going to take up is what the word of God actually says. Someone said we should put a sign up front that says we preach the Bible and what it actually says. Amen. We're working on a new church sign. I like that. <laughs> we preach the Bible, what it actually says. I don't know what else to say other than what the Bible says. Amen? I don't know what else to say other than what the Bible says. If we're not going to preach what the Bible says, why bother? Why bother? Uh, how do you know what's true? Because we have an accurate translation of God's words in our King James Bible. I uh, will share a few things with you. You can get down some references here. Uh, the words of God are true because God is true. Jeremiah 10.10 10. In Jeremiah 10.10, Jeremiah says, the Lord is the true God. There's lots of opinions about who God is or whether or not God, Jesus is God. The Bible is true because the Lord is true. He's the true God. Jeremiah 10.10 says, the Lord, underlying word is Jehovah in the Hebrew, the Lord is the true God. John the Baptist testifies, God is true. Uh, that's John 3.33. He says, God is true. The Lord, uh, God is the Lord. The Lord is God. Uh, and God is true. Uh, Jesus proclaims the same. In, in John 7.28, uh, he says, uh, he that sent me is true. Who sent him? Who sent God the Son? God the Father. And he's true. Jesus said that. Uh, he later described the Father as the only true God. That's John 17.3. He said, you know, the father, he's the only true God. Well, he's the only God also. Amen? Say amen. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18, God is true, period. No qualifiers are needed. God is uh, true. Uh, in 1 John 5, in, in verse 20, John says Christ came so that we may uh, know him that is true. Amen. Uh, he's absolutely true. How about this one? Hebrews 6.18, uh, the writer of Hebrews, who's probably who? We'd be surprised if it wasn't Paul. Uh, he says, it's impossible for God to lie. Oh, he's not, he's not an omnipotent God then if there's something he can't do. No, there's just some things that he won't do. Amen. It's impossible for God to lie. Uh, in Revelation, we're, st we're studying through Revelation, as you know, in our 10 o'clock Sunday school hour. Please come and join us. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's in the word of God. Um, tribulation martyrs address the Lord as holy and true in Revelation 6. Uh, in Revelation 15, uh, it is proclaimed, Lord God Almighty, just and true are their ways. In Revelation 16, there's an angel gloriously proclaiming, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous uh, are their judgments. You can just go on and on and on. Brother Ray, I believe that. The Holy Spirit says to me, those words are true. Amen? If you got a spirit that says anything other than that, 
you, you need to deal with that. How you know if something is true or not, it's by comparing it to the Word of God. There was disunity in part in the church at Corinth because everybody had opinions. Everybody had opinions, but it seems that too few people were holding up their opinions to the Word of God uh, and letting go of opinions that were not biblical or, or refusing to mold, to craft their opinions, to be closer to uh, the Word of God. Listen, uh, if you have ideas uh, floating around in your head that aren't biblical, ask the Lord to help you jettison them, to put them off, to carve them off, bury them away somewhere. Lord, help me to just see your truth and hold firm to that. Now, Pastor, sometimes I struggle to know what is true even when I'm in the Bible. Pray, Lord, help me to discern your words. Give me understanding. It's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. By the way, we all have the same Holy Spirit who will lead us into the same understanding if we'll all be yielded to him. Sometimes it takes a little time in some areas to get there, but the Lord is using his words and the spirit who gave those words who indwells us to lead us into the shared understanding that will promote a unity uh, in our church. Lord, help us to be yielded to you that we might partake of that guidance, that direction, uh, that discernment. Second thing we see, the second spiritual problem that was uh, harming their unity, uh, and this is probably the thing that he's emphasizing more than anything in this passage, is this uh, incredibly carnal selfishness. This, uh, get that down. Second spiritual problem that we see is just this, this horrible selfishness. You can see here in the passage that uh, evidently um, uh, there were people in the church that had a lot. So some, some were fairly wealthy. Uh, we looked at this idea last Sunday night. Uh, it's not bad to be wealthy. Uh, money is not, e it's the love of money. That's a problem, right? Uh, Lord blesses some with much. Uh, some have little. That can be a blessing too because it encourages us to be very reliant upon the Lord. You understand uh, these things. But uh, there was a great selfishness amongst uh, some, uh, at least in the church. Evidently, they had made the Lord's Supper into more, more of like a, a, a church dinner where everybody brought their own food, it would seem, uh, and some would show up with a spread of food, uh, like the shady maple smorgasbord that we saw and visited in Pennsylvania. 1,200 seats and food that just goes on forever and ever and ever. I thought about this, that's impressive, and Carolyn, that was impressive. Yeah, the food was okay, but just the scene what was impressive, just the enormity of it and all the food. And I thought to myself, I don't think I shared this with my wife, but I thought to myself, maybe I did, um, the marriage supper of the lamb. This, this doesn't even begin to compare to the marriage supper of the lamb. Uh, all, all saved people coming together at the marriage supper of the lamb following the rapture. It's going to be infinitely more awesome than the Shady Maple, Pennsylvania. Amen. Uh, people were coming to the church, making the uh, Lord's Supper an occasion for a, a big um, 
dinner at the church, it would seem, and they brought their own food, and some would come with a lot because they had a lot, and then, of course, there were some people in the church that didn't have much, and so, you know, they came with kind of a smaller, more modest meal, maybe, maybe not much at all. Now, there are probably some, I think Paul's implying, that came without much of anything because, frankly, they didn't have much of anything. Uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, if there's someone in the church that doesn't have much of anything, uh, but the church, which is the people, has a lot, uh, what should the church do, Brother Gary? They should meet that need, amen, to the extent that they can. And I praise God that we're a church that's able to meet some needs. If you have legitimate needs, you're a member of this church, or you know, there's someone close to you that has legitimate needs, and we're able to help. We, we want to do that because we understand that we're called to carry out the royal law, James, demonstrate love to each other, and biblical love is a love that involves doing uh, for each other. I can do that, not in my own strength, but uh, in the strength of the Spirit of God who produces the spiritual fruit of love in me as I yield to him, Brother Ray. It's not me that accomplishes that. It's allowing the Lord to work in me and through me that accomplishes that. Uh, evidently, the people uh, in Corinth uh, they weren't being very loving. They're, they're, they're coming in with their truckloads of food, just eating it. Coming, uh, some were even getting drunk in the process. Look at verse 20. Uh, when you come together, therefore, into one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. That's my food. Don't, don't touch it, Oliver. Don't, don't touch my, that's my food, man. Why are you touching that? Josiah, get away from my food. Uh, what's, the, what's the result? One is hungry. Some, some are left hungry. Uh, another is drunken. Uh, I think he means that literally. Some people were getting drunk uh, at the church. Imagine that. Some others have said that's just more poetic. It's saying, you know, some had a lot, some had a little. Uh, it is saying that, but I think, it, you know, what the Bible says is, is literally true. Some were getting drunk also. Uh, that, that's obviously not a good thing. Uh, what's happening here? What's, what's the problem that, what's the underlying problem that's harming their unity? There's a selfishness that's rooted in a prideful lack of love uh, in the hearts of the church members. They're just more focused upon themselves, which is what we do naturally, than upon others. Uh, there's a prideful focus on self, get all I can get, and, and don't worry about what those people over there don't have. I just want to get all that I want. As long as I get all that I want, uh, I'm happy. Well, Lord's not happy because that's unloving. That's unloving. Get down some cross-references, please. Uh, James 2, 8. Bible says, Lord says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, if you do that, ye do well. That's the royal law. The number one thing that Lord would have us to focus on uh, in, in respect to our obligation and duties to each other. It's going to be very hard for a church to have the kind of unity that God calls us to have if we're not demonstrating love to each other. And that necessarily means doing for each other. Gary, I can't do that in my own strength for long. But I can yield to the Lord and say, Lord, you make possible what you command. 
you make it possible to demonstrate love to my fellow church members. Uh, you know well, church, that Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 uh, define the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in saved people, uh, I believe especially as we yield to the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first thing? Love. That's first on the list. James says the royal law. The Holy Spirit puts uh, in Galatians, as Paul writes to those churches, puts love first on the list. We shouldn't be surprised. It's the thing that's most needful within churches. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to uh, know a love from you that we express, that we carry out, that we put into action toward each other. By the way, how unloving would it be to hold on to an opinion that is contrary to someone else's opinion when your opinion is contrary to scripture? That's pretty unloving. You're gonna argue, you're gonna argue a position in the church to church members that is contrary to scripture. That's unloving, amen? That's unloving, amen. Uh, you're gonna hoard uh, God's provision to yourself when someone else is in need. That's unloving. That's contrary to the royal law. That's contrary uh, to scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, you look back to the last chapter in verse uh, 24. Verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Yeah, just look back there. Uh, read it with me, please, uh, aloud. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Lord, help me do that. Lord, help me do that. There's two spiritual problems Paul points out right away. There's all these divisions. Obviously, that's, that's the opposite of unity. There's some reasons people are unlovingly, stubbornly, pridefully holding on to opinions that are contrary to Scripture, not letting the Word of God correct them. They're unlovingly uh, being greedy rather than uh, meeting the needs of, of church members around them uh, that, that have less. They're being incredibly self indulgent even getting drunk, uh, it seems, which is profoundly contrary uh, to Scripture. Uh, look at verse 22 with me. Uh, in our passage, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. What? Have you not house? So Paul says, he, he paints out the, the big problem and he, he points to a couple of the underlying causes and he, he just begins to correct them now. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? You know, eat, eat in your own house. If you can't, if you can't bring uh, to help others, just, just stay at home, eat your meal, do, do that there. Of course, we know it'd be better to demonstrate love uh, to one another. Despise ye the church of God? You despise your, your fellow church members? You're acting like that. Uh, and, and, and shame them that have not? Is that your desire? That's not loving. Uh, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I, I, I praise you not. That's not praiseworthy behavior. It's contrary to scripture. Uh, they, need, they need to change. And so Paul reteaches them about the Lord's Supper. He reteaches them about the Lord's Supper. He says, you know what? It's really not all about you and, and your opinions and, and your enjoying this wonderful meal that, that you brought. It's not, it's not an occasion for arguing opinions. It's not an occasion for self-indulgence that is all prideful. 
He said, it's not what it's about. Coming to church is not a platform for you to espouse your opinions that may not be biblical. It's not, it's not a place where you just come and eat up all the hot dogs next Sunday morning. You can have a hot dog, though. Amen. 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 Come and eat a hot dog. Maybe even have two, Brother Gary, if there's enough. If they call out, we have seconds, that's okay, right? That's not going to be unloving. Take one. Paul says, no, that's not what church is about, and it's certainly not what the Lord's Supper is about. What's it about? Well, it's about remembering Christ and the love that he has shown to us at the cross in allowing his body to be broken and his blood to be shed that we might be forgiven if only we would repent of our sins and place our faith in him and the work that he completed upon the cross. Paul's saying in context, hey, you need to take up the love of Christ as shown by the Father in sending the Son and the love that Christ showed to us in laying down his life for us. That's what it's about. Loving God, loving Christ, loving each other. Paul says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, same night which he was betrayed, took bread. He's the bread of life. When he had given thanks, he broke it. You remember he broke the bread, symbolizing the body that was his body, lovingly broken for us. Going to have unity in the church, there's going to need to be a Christ-like love. He allowed his body to be broken as a profound demonstration of, of love. Obviously, he's providing for our salvation, but it's also a demonstration of his love for us. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Plural, Y-O-U. He says, this do in what? What's the R word? remembrance of me it's a commemoration a celebration a remembrance of what christ has done for us not an occasion to argue <laughs> it's not an occasion for self-indulgence It's not an occasion for being unloving it's an occasion for remembering the love of christ in providing for our salvation he says after the same manner also he christ took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Almost all things are purged by the law, purged with blood, without shedding of blood. There's no remission. Why is that? Because God said. That's why. Good enough for me. Good enough for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do... What's the next word? This do... What's the next word? Ye. He's writing to save baptized members of the church at Corinth. All ye all. This do ye. As oft as ye drink it. Here's the purpose. It's not about them. It's about him in remembrance of me. Not an occasion for our platform for arguing or an occasion for self-indulgence. That's unloving. This is occasion to remember the love of Christ in providing for our salvation and celebrating it. 
Verse 26, he says, for often as ye eat this bread, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, uh, what's the next word, the Y word? Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And if you're here for our observance of the Lord's Supper, you know that I always say at that point, and he will come. Amen. Um, I want you to make one quick observation. We're going to stop there and pray. Okay. Look with me in verse 24. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for who? You. Y-O-U. Grammatically, it's plural. It's the whole church. Verse 25, this cup, New Testament, my blood, this do ye. Grammatically, it's plural. It's the whole church. As often as ye, grammatically, it's plural. It's the whole church. Drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, ye. Grammatically, it's plural. It's the whole church. Do show the Lord's death till he come. Is it important to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Is that important? It is. It is. Um, we have a little bit of a problem in our church in that many people don't come and participate um, we just do it once monthly in the evening service. There's good reasons to do it in the evening service. We won't get into that this morning. But there's good reasons for that, biblical reasons. It's a you, you, ye, ye thing. It's, it's an occasion for remembering what the Lord has done at his command. It's an occasion for examining ourselves Verse 28, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It's, in our church, it's a monthly reminder of the need to examine ourselves in the context of this passage. That, that involves, am I right with the Lord vertically, and am I right with my church family horizontally? And if I'm not, I need to do some business with the Lord, do some business with him, Maybe confess that I've, I've, I'm not right with this person or that person. Make it an occasion to get right with that person after you've prayed about that. Uh, it's the Lord's time for us to remember the cross, but also to examine ourselves that we might be right with him and right with each other. It's a time for checking the unity of the church so that we can go forward with the unity the Lord desires that we might accomplish his purposes. We all need to be here for that. That's, that's the Lord's instruction. That's his command. I'm not beating up on anybody this morning. I simply want to encourage you. Um, once a month or so, as we celebrate Lord's Supper and evening service once a month, plan to be here. Get that on your calendar, please. Uh, and plan to be here. It's important because the Lord has commanded that, but it's important for the unity in our church as you examine yourself according to the principles of this passage, that will encourage uh, a unity in our church. Is that important, church? That's important. Uh, and so I encourage you this morning to consider that uh, encouragement from your pastor. Let's stop there, please, and pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, this morning for this passage. 
Lord, you are you're so clear about the importance of unity uh, in your churches, which most certainly include this church. Father, I understand this morning that um, opinions can get in the way of unity. Lord, I don't know if anyone's convicted in that area this morning, but if anyone is, I, I pray, Lord, you give us hearts to say, Father, I've often or too often been given over to my own opinions and, and have been too slow to compare them to your word and what it actually says. Lord, I confess that. Help me to compare my opinions to your words and to change my opinions to conform to your words. Give me a heart to do that. Lord, give me discernment uh, to handle your words well and, and, and to be able to do that. Father, maybe there's uh, someone else this morning that would say, uh, Lord, my, my attitude about Lord's service, Lord, Lord's Supper has not been what it should be. I've, I've failed to see some of your purposes. I've failed to examine myself as you call us to in context here this morning. Father, I confess that this morning. I pray that you, you give me a heart to examine my relationship with you and with my fellow church members and to have a heart to get that right, even this morning. Lord, even this morning, that I might be prepared for the next opportunity that we have. Finally, Lord, I, I don't know, but I, I suspect this morning that someone may be convicted that they've not been faithful to observe the Lord's Supper here in our church. And Lord, maybe someone would, would pray and say, Father, I, I know I've not been faithful to be here. You know that. Would you, Lord, give me a heart and the strength and just the opportunity to be here next month. I'll give you a moment to pray, church. Father, I pray this morning if there are issues of disunity, offense, things that need to be addressed, Lord, that you would make that clear. And Father, give us hearts to be reconciled where we need to be reconciled. Lord, that we take that very seriously. Father, I know so often our natural response to someone coming and saying I was offended is to be defensive rather than to just listen or if someone would obey you by coming and saying I was offended father give us hearts to be loving and patient in our response to that person that we might be united and have the unity that you desire us to have in this church Lord, thank you that we can. We have your words. We have our salvation in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. There's nothing that prevents us from having the unity, Lord, that you desire us to have. Thank you. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for the Lord's Supper, a wonderful opportunity to examine ourselves and to remember 
the profound love of Christ shown to us at the cross. Lord, none of us can say we're not loved. We've been loved greatly, profoundly. You love us today perfectly. Father, thank you so very much. Lord, thank you for this church. Have your hand upon us, please. Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may look up here. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for being faithful. Uh, Lord willing, tonight at 6, we're going to be in Psalm 50. I encourage you to be here if you possibly can. That's our plan for tonight. And Zach, you have a closing song for us, which is number 418. All right, let's stand together if you're able to. Uh, we'll sing number 418. Zach will pray and dismiss us. We'll be dismissed. Take a minute to fellowship before you leave this morning. Amen. All right, let's do stand as we turn to 418. We'll sing the first and the last of Meet Me There, 418. golden shore where the faithful part no more when the storms of life are roar meet me there where the night dissolves away into pure and perfect day I am going home to stay meet me there meet me there meet me there where the tree of life is blooming meet me there when the storms of life are roar on the happy golden where the faithful part no more meet me there where the harps of angels ring and the blessed forever sing in the palace of the king meet me there where sweet communion blend heart with heart and friend with friend and the world that shall never end meet me there meet me there meet me there where the tree of life is blooming meet me the storms of life are o'er on the happy golden shore where the faithful part no more meet me there right, let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house please give us your strength to help obey what we've heard today in jesus name i pray amen Lord.